Hello and welcome to the CAV Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Jones, and thank you for tuning in to our latest episode. This is podcast number six, and we really appreciate all the positive feedback we've received. So much so, it's given us the encouragement to record some more. And our main discussion point today is the energy efficiency regulations for let residential property. Now, navigating your way through all the rules for energy performance certificates, EPCs, and the minimum energy efficiency standard, also known as MEES, can be quite a task and it certainly flagged up a lot of questions from CAB members. But thankfully, I'm joined by Kate Russell, Policy and Technical Advisor for the CAB, who's going to answer these questions and tell us all we need to know. Kate, thank you for joining us, and how are things with you today? Hi, Alad. Yes, they're good, thank you. The sun is shining out there today, so uh, we're in good spirits. That's great to hear. Now, we're recording this podcast remotely, given the current circumstances around COVID-19, and we do hope you're all keeping safe and well and adjusting to new ways of working, and many of you, no doubt, will be working from home. But um, please be assured that the CAV is working hard to support members through this period, and please keep an eye on the What's New section of our website for all the latest news, advice, and support. So back to the main topic of this podcast and Kate, why is it important that we're talking about EPCs and MEs now? Well, energy efficiency in buildings is absolutely crucial to the government if it's going to achieve its targets for net zero carbon by 2050. Now we all know those are ambitious targets but they are uh, important to the government And it really can't achieve them without tackling this issue of energy efficiency in buildings. So from 1st of April 2020, all privately let domestic property in England and Wales, which has an EPC, must be in band E or above, or an exemption must have been registered for that property. And just to emphasise that today we're only concerned with the regime in England and Wales. So it's just in England and Wales, but but what's the background? Explain some more about that. Well, uh, since 2008, you've needed to have an EPC whenever you sell or let a building, uh, a building which uses energy to condition the indoor climate. That's the phrase used in the regulations. Really, that means any building with heating or cooling. So we had that set of regulations and we got used to that. And then in 2015, we had a new set of entirely separate regulations, which introduced a minimum energy efficiency standard. That's what we abbreviate to MEES. Now, these are totally separate regulations, not very well aligned with the EPC regulations, I have to say. Sometimes they're using different definitions, for example. So valuers need to be really clear about what the requirements are under both sets of regulations. So they're separate, but in relation to the same thing, they they both apply to to let residential property. But it's the MEES regulations that have brought in the the requirement for the property to be bandy or above. Yes, that's right. So from 1st of April 2018, any new letting of domestic property had to comply with MEES where there was a valid EPC for that property. And that meant the property couldn't be let if it was banned F or G unless you had registered an exemption on the exemptions register. And then from 1st of April 2020, those regulations apply to all existing tenancies where there's a valid EPC. 
So from the 1st of April 2018, it only applied to new lettings. Now, from the 1st of April this year, it's going to apply retrospectively as well. Indeed, that's right. Um, We'll talk some more about the exemptions in a moment, but you refer there to a valid EPC. Could there be cases where there's legitimately no valid EPC? Well, yes, absolutely. And, And members are ringing with queries about this quite a lot at the moment. If you let a house before the 1st of October 2008, then you weren't actually required to have an EPC when you let it because the the regulations hadn't started. So if you've got a tenancy that started before then and that tenancy continues, there's been no trigger event that would require a landlord to go out and get an EPC. So in that case, the property's got no EPC, but it's not in breach of any regulation. And if there's no valid EPC, then the Mies regulations won't apply to it. Now, there's another case where this applies as well. EPCs themselves have a life of 10 years. And the first ones were being commissioned from 2008 onwards. So they are starting now to expire. If you let a house that had a valid EPC on letting, but that EPC expires during the term of the tenancy because it's more than 10 years old, There's no trigger requiring a landlord to go and get a new EPC until that property is re-let. So you've got a a let carrying on, the EPC has expired, so technically there's no valid EPC. And if that happened before the 1st of April 2020, with no valid EPC in place, legally, the Mies regulations wouldn't apply to that property. It, it sounds like a loophole. You're probably thinking that, Alice. <laughs> yeah. But, but it is an example given in the government guidance on EPCs and MEs. So the government is aware that this is, is likely to happen. And obviously, it's a, something of an interim issue that will be worked out through time. Uh, but what would happen if a tenant, for example, went out and obtained an EPC? Yes. Now, this is a question that also comes up quite a lot. What, what if there's a voluntary EPC for the house? Maybe the tenant got it, as you say, or potentially a landlord might have got one thinking they needed it when they didn't. Or maybe they just got one to understand what the energy performance of the property was. And there are two main points to bear in mind here. Firstly, the regulations themselves, the Mies regulations, don't recognise the concept of a so-called voluntary EPC. Those regulations refer to a valid EPC, which is one that's less than 10 years old, and on the EPC register. So at first glance, if you had an EPC obtained voluntarily or even by mistake and registered on the register, that might look like a valid EPC, which would bring the property within scope for Mies. And that's a strict interpretation, if you like, of the regulations. But before you leap in with a question, because I can hear (laughs) one coming, but We've got government guidance on this published on the gov.uk website and last updated in March 2019. And that guidance states quite clearly that where an EPC has been obtained, where one was not legally required, then there's no need to comply with the Mies regulations, even when that EPC has been registered on the register. That guidance is called the Domestic Private Rented Property Minimum Standard, and you can find a link to it on the CAB website. Now, important to remember that is only guidance and it's caveated at the the start of the document saying that it isn't legally binding. Obviously, we don't know how much weight an enforcement authority would be able to give it. 
But my suggestion to advisors would be if you intend to rely on that guidance, it would be as well to keep a copy of it on your file so that you can produce it if required. Now, if I can um, go straight on to another point here, Aled, it's sort of related. Um, uh, it's the whole issue of tenancy renewals. It's another question that comes up from members and it's quite a tricky area. The EPC regulations, remember there are two sets of regulations. The EPC regulations state that you need an EPC when a building is rented out. That's the phrase they use, yeah. but they then don't define the phrase. The government guidance on EPCs was updated in 2017, and that includes lease renewals and extensions on its list of transactions that are not considered to be renting out. So if you let a property before the 1st of October 2008, and it didn't need an EPC, and then later on there was a renewal or an extension of that lease, there was no need to commission an EPC at that point. Okay, you're with me so far? Yeah, <laughs> I'm keeping up with you, yeah. <laughs> However, this is where it diverges. You remember that I said the, the MEES regulations were separate and not completely aligned to the EPC regulations? Yes. Well, this is a case in point where they use different language. So the MEES regulations state that a landlord must not let the property if it doesn't meet the standard. They don't use the phrase rented out that we have in the EPC regulations. Right. However, they do define what they mean by let the property in regulation 23 as granting a new tenancy or letting the property as a result of an extension or renewal of an existing tenancy. So that suggests that you need to comply with the MEES for a lease renewal or extension, but you're only going to need to do that where there's already a valid EPC. So there's a number of things there to, to, to keep an eye on and, and understanding the language and the definitions. But, but earlier in our, in our conversation, you mentioned uh, exemptions. Can you talk us through uh, what exemptions are in place? Yes. OK, so the starting point here is that you've got a property that's in band F or G. You've got two options now. You either have to do the work necessary to bring it up to band E, at least, or you've got to apply for an exemption. If you haven't done one or the other before the 1st of April 2020, then the landlord will be in breach of the regulations. So, so what kind of exemptions uh, are, are listed and what can you apply um, to, to try and get some exemptions from the regulations? Well, we've got five main different ones for domestic property. Each of those only lasts five years, and then you have to renew it and apply again. The most, uh, so running through them roughly in order that we think they're likely to be used. Um, number one is that you have carried out all the relevant energy efficiency improvements that are listed on the EPC certificate, but the property is still below band E. Uh, you can apply for an exemption on that basis. Number two is the high cost exemption. Um, where the improvements are going to cost more than £3,500 per property. Uh, if, if that's the case, then the landlord doesn't have to spend more than 3500 You do need to provide three quotes from suppliers to support the evidence for that one. Thirdly, um, you require third-party consent to be able to do the works, but you've not been able to get it. And that third-party consent might simply be the tenant refusing access, it might be a mortgagee refusing to allow the works to be done, or quite commonly, it could be listed building consent that's been refused. Then fourthly, there is a, 
um, a, a, an exemption in place if wall insulation is a recommended um, action to be taken, but it's not considered to be appropriate for the property. And then finally, the property devaluation exemption. If the works being carried out are considered to devalue the property by more than 5%, and you can get an independent surveyor's report to support that, that's grounds for an exemption as well. And then finally, if you become a landlord by buying a let property that is below standard, you can apply for a temporary six-month ex exemption just to give you time to get up to speed with these. But the, the really important point, Alid, is that the landlord must do something. They have to take action. They've got to mm. apply for the exemption on the exemptions register. This isn't something that's automatically given out. But on the other hand, anyone can apply for the exemption. The landlord can do it. Their agent can do it. You don't need to be specially qualified. You just need to go on mm. the gov.uk website and search for the EPC MEES exemptions register. But none of the exemptions last indefinitely. So, so they've got this five-year um, time limit by which you've got to reapply each time. That's right. And it is going to be a management headache for people. And you're going to have to diary, make a diary note so that you come back to it in five years' time and renew it again. And it's going to seem like a bit of an administrative hoop to jump through. But that's the situation that we're in at the moment. But what about um, bearing in mind the current situation around COVID-19? Is that a valid ground if you can't get an EPC surveyor to, to conduct uh, that assessment in time? Is that a valid request for an exemption? Well, I, I think so, Alid. I mean, I can't see any way around that. We're recording this podcast during the first week of the three-week lockdown in, in March. And clearly, it would be inappropriate for contractors to be going into properties at the moment to carry out works. So there will be cases where that 1st of April deadline is going to be missed. I don't think there's anything that can be done about that, given the exceptional circumstances mm. that we're in. And although we've not had any official reassurance on this point, I can't see that an enforcement agency would be well advised to take action against anybody on that basis. Yeah, and, and should we hear anything, of course, that'll be uh, published on the CAV website as, as soon as we get any further guidance on that. Uh, yes, of course. But we've been talking about domestic properties primarily. Does that include farmhouses let under agricultural tenancies? Ah, good question. Uh, and this all turns on how the regulations define domestic properties. So that phrase is defined in the Mies regulations um, in terms of the types of tenancy that they expect to see. So that means any property let on an assured or assured shorthold tenancy or an assured agricultural occupancy, any property let under the Rent Act 77 or the Rent Agriculture Act 1976, and that's it. That list doesn't include dwellings let under an AHA or an FBT. So farmhouses and cottages that are let as part of an AHA or FBT are not domestic properties for this purpose. So you might assume that if they're not domestic, they must be non-domestic properties. But the definition of non-domestic properties leaves a gap because uh, that uh, definition for non-domestic properties excludes dwellings. Well, clearly a farmhouse within an AHA tenancy is a dwelling. So it appears to us, and I'll say this hasn't been tested yet in the courts or anywhere else, this is only the CAV view, that farmhouses let under an AHA or an FBT, they're not non-domestic, but they're certainly not domestic. Therefore, we think that they're outside the scope of Mies altogether. 
However, two more points quickly just to touch on. Firstly, your farmhouses do still need an EPC when they're let. Remember, the EPC regulations are separate and distinct from the MEES regulations. So you must have the EPC, but if, it, if the house turns out to be in band F or G, then you're not required at the moment to bring it up to standard. And the second point just to draw out there is that if you've got a cottage or a house within a farm tenancy that is then sublet by the farm tenant, they're likely to be subletting that on an assured shorthold tenancy. And that will be domestic property at that point. And so they will have to comply with Mies. Mm. Then there are issues between the farm tenant and the head landlord about whose responsibility it is to carry out the building works necessary. And that will depend to a degree on the terms of the tenancy agreement for the farm. Mm, yeah, so a couple of really important points there. But I've also heard there's some confusion about whether or not listed buildings are exempt. What's, what's the position on that? Well, I wish I could give you a direct answer, uh, Alad, on this one. It's probably the question I get asked more than any other. What I can tell you is that there is no blanket exemption from list for listed buildings from the requirement to have an EPC. No blanket exemption. And people, a lot of people still think that there is. The wording of the EPC regulations is not very clear because it's simply been transposed from the EU directive and it, it's not helpful at all. The essence of it is that you don't have to comply with the MEES requirements if listed building consent wouldn't be given for that work, clearly. So views then vary about what owners should do. And we think the prudent route through this is to get an EPC for a listed building when the trigger point happens and to discuss the recommendations on that EPC with the conservation officer. And I get a lot of feedback that, that different conservation officers across the country are handling this in quite different ways. So it, you, you may sometimes meet with a very helpful and positive response. Other times it might be less less helpful. Because the, the, the fact is you may actually be able to carry out some of the recommendations without needing listed building consent and without causing any problems. So if it's something as simple as LED lighting in some rooms, that might be perfectly achievable or thermostats on radiators. But nevertheless, there will be works that are recommended that might damage the special character of the property. So you do what you can do. But then if you're still not a band E, you're going to have to apply for an exemption on the basis that third party consent won't be forthcoming. And then you may need evidence from the conservation officer. Some of them are requiring applications for listed building consent. Others are happy to sign a letter to say that the work would not be permitted. Uh, so, as I say, it's not very consistent across the country, but that's the, the recommendation is you should get an EPC and then consider the, the, the recommendations arising from it. And how will all this be enforced? Well, another good question. Um, the enforcement is local trading standards departments. Now, they can serve compliance notices for breaching the regulations and they can impose fines of up to £5,000. Um, there's been quite a lot of chatter about the fact that trading standards departments are under-resourced. I think government is well aware of that. And there's been concern, obviously, about non-compliance in this sector because trading standards departments have other things to do as well. But as I say, government is very keen that these regulations are complied with so that they can move towards helping those targets for net zero carbon. So they've started to put more money into trading standards specifically for EPC and MEES enforcement. So I think we're likely to see more enforcement activity 
obviously when we've got out of the coronavirus pandemic and life hopefully starts to return mm. to normal, I suspect that we will see more enforcement happening over time. Mm. Now, as our listeners have probably gathered, it's quite a complicated area, two different sets of regulations. But how would you sum it up for us, uh, trying to draw everything together? Well, it is complicated. I think it's really important that property owners and their advisors need to take care to understand exactly what their obligations are. Mm -hmm. It's one of those cases where it really does pay, actually, to go and look at the regulations themselves, both the EPC regulations and the MEES regulations. And we have some very detailed briefing notes for CAV members on our website uh, that should help to guide them through it. But one final warning on this, where we are now is only the thin end of the wedge. Government is expected to launch a consultation later on this year on the future trajectory for these and uh, for domestic property. And we are expecting that to set a new target of band C by 2030 for domestic property. Now that's going to be really demanding. According to government statistics from a couple of years ago, there were about 300,000 properties in England below band E, but there are around 3.4 million below band C. So this Mm. is going to affect far more people in the future. And there's going to be a lot more work for advisors in this area. So I suggest that people do get themselves up to speed Get familiar with the regulations, get familiar with the process of applying for exemptions, and then they'll be very well placed Mm. to advise clients going forward. And the government is very much committed to this, given the targets they got on on sort of uh, reaching a carbon net zero position by 2050, as you said at the beginning. Well, that's right. Uh, And obviously, you know, making reference again to the coronavirus pandemic, we, we don't know where anything's going to go, but with the assumption that life does return to some kind of normal, we can expect this policy um, area to to keep rising up the agenda. It's something the government has made a firm commitment to, and it won't be wanting to be seen rowing back from that. Uh, Other governments, I mean, this is England that's looking at uh, Bansi by 2030, but Wales and Scotland are also following similar tracks. In fact, Scotland has got a consultation out at the moment. Uh, looking at how owner-occupiers can be required to improve the energy efficiency of their homes. So this is not a subject that's going to go away. No, absolutely. Well, Kate, thank you ever so much for your time. It's been really useful to run through the different rules uh, and we'll await what further regulations flow from the proposed consultation. But don't forget as well, as Kate mentioned earlier, there is a detailed briefing note on this uh, in the members area of our website. Well, I hope you found this podcast informative. And as I said at the beginning, the CAV is working hard to support our members during the coronavirus outbreak. And if you are working from home at the moment, hopefully this podcast has kept you company and there are plenty of other episodes for you to catch up on you can find us on all the major platforms including apple and spotify also we're working on some more episodes focusing on what support is available to businesses through this period and more will be revealed about that shortly but that's all from us today until the next episode on behalf of kate russell and myself ali jones thank you for listening and take care